Today is December 10th, 2023. This is Mobius Podcast 488. I'm Tadagasawara, and with me is the good Dr. John Westfall. Before we get started, I just want to say thank you first to Sven Johansson for filling in as a guest co-host in in podcast or for podcast 486. And a special thanks to Steve Luhan and Daniel Liu from Google uh, for podcast 487, which was just recorded a few days ago, really, uh, from Google for educating me about some of the Google AI-based projects they're working on and or actually deployed, not working on. They're already deployed. Mm as well as uh, some clarification on some of the Google Bard slash Gemini um, launch, which at the time we recorded, I didn't have access to it. Go ahead. Yeah, it's hard to keep it all straight today. There's so much going on with everyone trying to roll out their AI products that they think (laughs) are going to, to provide an interesting and compelling new difference. And It's to the point now where people that I am shocked would even use AI are starting to use AI. Um, Oh, really? So, yeah, you know, just colleagues that are not overly technical, but yet they they know enough to get in and do some of the things that uh, they've seen their more technical colleagues being able to do. Yeah. So I'm excited to sort of see where we go with this over the next year. Obviously, um, you know, certain people at OpenAI thought we were moving way too fast, uh, and that created that wonderful drama a couple weeks ago. That was but uh, yeah, that was interesting. But otherwise, I, I'm excited, and you've got uh, some great notes for this week that uh, that get us into all of this. So. Let's let's jump in. But what was your iPhone 15 Pro Max display scare oh, this morning? Because that's yeah. always frightening. So I I woke up as you know, which is good, right? You wake up every morning, yeah. especially when you're old. Yeah, it's a good than, thing. Better than not. Yeah. Woke up, and you know, one of the first things I do after I wake up is you know take a peek at my phone, see if I have any incoming messages or alerts or you know weather alerts or whatever to deal with, and my display wouldn't go on. You know, I tapped it, I pressed the power button, I did all the usual things, nothing. So I thought, oh man, is it dead? Uh, so what I did is I tried calling it and it rang, the phone rang, nothing lit up. My Apple Watch picked up the call and says, hey, you want to answer this thing from me? And I just hung up, of course, because I'm rude. Um, and basically it didn't go on. So finally, I did the, the, the soft reset dance. And for folks who don't know what the soft reset dance on the buttonless iPhones are, it's it's this. It's pretty easy to remember. It's a three-step dance. Step number one, press and release the volume up button. Step number two, press and release the volume down button. And step number three, press and hold the um, on-off or sleep switch, if you want to get technical about it, the on-off switch. Uh, press and hold that at step number three until hopefully you see the Apple logo. Now, I remember I didn't see anything, so I was thinking, well, if this doesn't work, I got to go take it into, you know, Apple Store and have a genius, mm-hmm. Apple Genius take care. But fortunately, the Apple logo did pop on after, you know, counting 1,000, 2,000, you know, 3, 1,000, that kind of thing for a little over 10 seconds, about 10 seconds. Uh, and it came back up and it's been okay since. So I don't know what went on wrong. It was fine yesterday. It's been fine since I got it earlier this year in what, October, I guess. So remember the three-step dance if you ever have a similar situation. And if that doesn't work, you probably got to call up Apple and arrange to either have a replacement or if you're near an Apple store. And I know John is not. But, uh, if well, you're near an Apple store, you can go down and have a genius look at it. Over the ahead. last 
two weeks, I had an interesting Apple experience. Uh, I think everyone that listens, you know, all three of you that know all of our back catalog, know that <laughs> I had to do an express replacement on my Apple Watch Ultra. And yep. the watch that I returned, my original Apple Watch Ultra, was yeah. damaged in shipping back to Apple. I had what? taken a picture of the tracking number before I dropped it in the mail, which I advise right. everyone to always do. Yep. And I noticed that it never made itself back there. Oh, boy. And so I called Apple about a week later when I got the message going, hey, we haven't received your product. And I said, yeah, you won't because it got damaged in shipping and here's all the information I have. And yeah. please don't charge me because, you know, I did send it back and it's clearly was damaged by FedEx and not right. by me. So the agent that I talked to, I was on the phone for about six minutes, well, about 20 minutes, actually, okay. uh, got bounced to two different agents. And I was yeah. told, OK, yeah, it's not going to get charged. Don't worry about it. Here's a confirmation number, blah, blah, blah. Right. Well, uh, fast forward about three and a half weeks later and I get charged for it. Oh, boy. So I called Apple again, was on the phone with them for another 25 minutes, got bounced right. to three different people, which apparently wow. the magical department you ever want to talk to. Uh, and Apple speak, if you get into the situation as customer relations, okay. which I sort of thought I was talking to in general, but apparently mm -hmm. that is the specific team. Hmm. Once I got to them, I was assigned an actual agent by name and she assured me she would take care of everything, you know, throughout the process and keep me updated. Right. Uh, I explained the situation. She said, well, you know, we, we, we need you guys to let us know basically when this happens because we don't get any notification from the mm -hmm. shipper. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I, I did, you know, yeah. three and a half weeks ago. Right. And she looks through my case notes and goes, oh, that agent never got you to the right team. So. No. Uh, so if you are on the phone with Apple and they just tell you, oh, everything will be fine, and right. you suspect it might not be, talk to ask for customer relations. Customer uh, relations. There you go. Yeah. And after about a week and a half uh, of her checking into it and keeping me updated, and I was I got regular communication, mm -hmm. um, they did finally reverse the charge, and it came off Yikes. my credit card and all of that. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was definitely annoying that I had to keep uh, pushing for it. It was also kind of annoying that suspiciously, when I hadn't gotten a chargeback in a week, I wrote back and said, hey, is there any update? And then magically within an hour, the chargeback happened. So hmm. that was a little concerning. Um, but regardless, uh, you know, I got taken care of. And it was nice that I had someone that I could be in touch with over Apple's portal and not have to go through each time I wanted an update. That's good. The same rigmarole to, to get into that. But that right. was my Apple fun with my uh, Ultra to return replacement. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've got to make a call pretty soon, too, because apparently um, it's not Apple, but AT&T. And I did a trade-in via AT&T, and apparently they have not re received my phone, my trade-in. So I got also charged this, uh, this period. So I need to contact them. Tomorrow, mm -hmm. I guess. I don't think they have customer service on Sunday because, you know, AT&T. But, uh, and also they don't have customer service in my hours. I think I, you know, I have to call them before noon or something else. Nobody will answer noon my time. Yeah. So that was, that was my scare. And I guess you had a, you had a, a dollar scare also in like, mm -hmm. to mine, but yours got fixed or so yay. Um, okay. So moving along, a non AI, I just wanted to note that I got a, I've always been curious about a vertical mouse, mm -hmm. uh, and I finally got one. And so I am I'm using it with my MacBook Pro right now. 
and I, 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 I'm not sure I like it. I mean, it works fine. It paired beautifully um, and fast, and it's very responsive, and um, I don't know. I'm just not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, think it's a, I think it might be just a matter of it feels different, obviously, because you know, I'm holding it with my wrist up, although it seems like that should be much better for my wrist, my aging wrist. So I'm going to give it a go. I think it's just, I, I'm hoping it's just a matter of me getting used to it. One of the things I can't get, I'm trying to figure out is it's got a, so it's got a scroll wheel where you think it should be, but then it has four buttons and the, they're basically duplicates, but two buttons are in way in front where you expect them. And there are two buttons behind, I guess maybe for small hands. I'm not sure, but they, they're both, they're identical, you know, left click, right click, two left clicks and two right clicks. Oh, and also there's a button in the middle. I got to go look at the instructions for this thing. It's got, it's got more buttons in it. Also, there's two buttons on the side. I don't know what they're for either. <laughs> it's got six, seven buttons. Yeah, eight if you if you count the mode switch button because it can switch between 2.4 uh, gigahertz RF, you know, dongle thing, and two uh, Bluetooth pairs. So you can pair it up to, I guess, three devices. Anyway, it's USB-C rechargeable, so it's, you know, no batteries. I mean, no replaceable batteries, or, which is kind of nice. Anywho, there we go. So I, I'm I'm trying that out for the first time. I'm hoping my it'll be better for my wrist, and we'll see how that goes. Okay, getting back to AI. So you know, as I mentioned, I spoke to Steve uh, Luhan and mm -hmm. Daniel Liu just a few days ago, this past Thursday, about about Google Gemini, which was announced the day before uh, the podcast was recorded, which was on the seventh, and the announcement was on the sixth. And I was commenting them, hey, you know, when I asked Google Bard if it's powered by Gemini, it says, no, no, you just have to wait. You know, it might happen next year. So I said, oh, fine. And we were chatting about it in the in the podcast. And they said, well, you know, it might get there sooner. And, uh, and sure enough, after the podcast, while I was post-processing the audio, uh, it, it, you know, I, I, you know, being me, I couldn't wait till next year. And I said, hey. <laughs> <laughs> when is Gemini going to be available for Google Bart? And Bart says, hey, it's here. And so um, I've been playing with it. And uh, but but in the meantime, like a couple of days later, apparently some of the have you seen the videos, uh, YouTube video demos? I've not right? looked at them yet. You know, it's they're really worth looking at, especially now that you know that some of them are, are they're not faked, but apparently they're edited. So things look faster or better or spiffier or smoother. Uh, so there's quite a bit of controversy about that, and I've got a link. I'll have I have a link in our show notes to a CNBC article that literally says Google faces controversy over edited Gemini AI demo video. So you know, it's not that it can't do it; it's just I guess it doesn't do it the way they the demonstration implies it does, like super fast and all that stuff. Um, I I think it's not a huge controversial issue. I mean, you know. Maybe it is. They certainly lost uh, share value. But um, anyway, so it is available not only in Bard. Oh, and I didn't put in the show notes, but I also should mention that it also powers uh, Google's Notebook LM. Uh, there, you know, uh, so if you have not tried Notebook LM, which was in beta, I think it's out of beta now, or at least available to everybody in a preview mode. And so if you go to Notebook LM, one string of characters, notebooklm.google, don't know if you need the com. That might be enough. You can sign up, and it, it will put you in the system pretty fast, and you can try it out. So I've, I've been playing with it a bit. 
Um, it's not Google Notebook LM is not as smart as I hoped um, with Gemini, with, with it being powered by Gemini. I threw in a bunch of our podcast show notes and asked it questions like how many times did I mention or how many times did we mention, you know, Fitbit or something? It, it says, I'm sorry, I can't answer that. And it, so it doesn't know how to count things. And then I asked it to summarize a few things and does better that like summarize what we've discussed about Apple or something, you know, or Google. Um, that said, the Bard part of it is pretty darn smart. Uh, I've, and I've got some, I've got some notes for us in the bottom. I asked Google Bard, powered by Gemini, uh, a, a, a question, you know, this question. And I also asked uh, Microsoft Bing chat. I asked, how does Google Gemini improve Google Bard? Well, actually, I, I asked that of Google Bard. And it gave a pretty interesting list of enhanced capabilities and new features. Um, one of which is, we should try with our podcast. It says, you can summarize recordings. Gemini can automatically summarize audio and video recordings, providing concise overview of the content. So I don't know if that's actually available now, but uh, but that's what it says it can do. Automatic replies and messaging services, which is pretty cool. I guess I should try to see if Google Messages can do that. So, and then overall mm -hmm. improvements to BARD, and uh, it gives some specific examples of, of how it works. And then I asked Google Bard, how does Google Bard compare to Microsoft 365 Copilot? And this is not a good question, by the way, because they're really not the same thing, right? Google Bard is more like Microsoft Bing Chat. But I said, eh, let's see what it does. And, and it gave, a, again, a pretty good detailed response, um, which I thought were, was pretty reasonable. And it, it provided some uh, references and so forth. Um, and they said, you know, Google Bard is currently in beta and free to use, and Microsoft Copilot available as a paid add-on for Microsoft, which is all true. Uh, and then it gives kind of a summary of reviews, um, and it speaks better of itself than Microsoft Copilot. It says, Google Bard has received positive reviews for its ability to generate creative text and formats and translate languages. Microsoft Copilot has received mixed reviews with some users <laughs> praising its helpfulness and others finding it buggy and unreliable, which is true. But, uh, you know, there you go. Okay, so then, and then it gives a whole bunch of really detailed response, you know, on the features between the two, uh, you know, focus, feature, integrates with, price, you know, that sort of thing. Okay, then I asked Microsoft Bing Chat the same question, and it says, um, Google Bard and Microsoft Copilot have the same rating based on user reviews. However, the two products are not directly comparable, which is true, as they serve different purposes. And it goes on to explain, you know, and it's just a single paragraph, so it doesn't give the kind of detailed response that Bard did. And then I asked, uh, I asked Bing, let's see, uh, how, does, how does Google Bard compare with Microsoft Bing Chat? which is comparable. And, but again, it says the two products are not directly comparable, which is, to me, not true. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, since they're both chatbots with you know, large language models and blah, 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 blah. So overall, right now, at least for the simple kind of questions, or the questions, the sort of self-referential questions I've been asking them about themselves, so to speak, using the pronoun them, I guess, lacking anything else, it itself. Mm -hmm. it, uh, Google Bard with Gemini gave much more detailed answers. Whether or not you agree with it is another question, but uh, you know, at least you have enough details to say, well, I disagree with this, this, and that, but you know, this stuff is okay. 
Whereas Google, I mean, Microsoft Bing Chat gave me, I think, a bad response for comparing itself, Microsoft Bing Chat, with Google Bard, which are to me, they are directly com- comparable. But anyhow, have you been playing with either one? Uh, I play a lot with uh, Bing AI and Bing Chat, yeah. but I have not done as much with Bard. I do have access, but I just haven't done as much with it. Yeah, yeah. Bing Chat can actually do more because you can, I think you can tie into Designer and a few things. But mm-hmm. I've been using Google Bard more because it seems to give me more detailed responses. And again, you know, you can, it gives you enough details to know, ah, this is full of it. Or, oh, okay, these, you know, 85% of things are correct and the rest I'm not so sure about. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, Microsoft Bing is a little terse for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. And also, if you want Microsoft Copilot for, you know, Office, it's going to cost another 30 bucks a month. Which that is, is quite a lot. That's surprisingly yeah. a lot in my mind. Yeah. I mean, even for enterprises, you know, I know uh, that's going to be a tough one, boy. I, I, you know, it's uh, if I had to make that decision now, I would say, well, we'll buy, you know, a thousand licenses and other 11, 13, 14,000 people, you know, sorry, just people who really need it. And and then you'll create have and have nots, right? Which is not good either. Um, not, not, not sure how that's going to work. You know, the Microsoft Teams calling, by the way, which, you know, completely replaces your phone system. Mm-hmm. I think it was only $20 a month, $15 a month per seat. I mean, basically cheaper than, you know, cheaper than the phone service it replaces by, you know, by several multiples or divisions. I think we're paying thirty, forty, fifty dollars a month for phone service, and it was like I said, fifteen or twenty for replacing. So that was worth paying, you know, in addition to our normal license. But thirty dollars a month for hmm, Microsoft Copilot? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't have to make that decision anymore. So yay me. <laughs> <laughs> do you know? Do you know? Have you heard if your university is going to consider it, or you know, just faculty or? Not heard too much directly. I assume whatever the tier is that we're on, if they, you know, if it gets bundled into it, then they will enable it. If not, uh, but we don't have a lot of active interest on the campus with our Microsoft 365. You don't have a lot of, you don't have any evangelists or anyone pushing, oh, we need to try these new things with 365. Um, It's definitely a difference, I think, over the last 30 years in academia. It used to be in academia. You'd have people that would get really interested in something and technology-wise, but now uh, maybe it's just my campus. We just don't have anyone that really pushes, oh, everyone should try this or everyone should do that mm-hmm. uh, on their own, unless it's part of something that uh, someone else is pushing. You know, Right. And my recollection is your campus is m- not exactly, but more or less Microsoft-centric. I guess you use like Outlook or Exchange for email and... You have an enterprise license and all that stuff. Yeah. So we're mostly a Microsoft shop with Oracle databases here and there. But Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I assume that uh, educational institutions like universities can get a discount. So I'll, if you if you do get access to it, uh, let me know. I, I, I'm really curious how much it helps. You know, basically, it's Clippy made really smart, right? Mm-hmm. So, yep. You know, and Clippy was not more annoying than useful. And most of us turned it off at some point. So I wonder how intrusive Microsoft 365 Copilot is for Office users. And I'll be really curious if you guys use it to mm-hmm. see 
you know, how people feel about it from a, you know, kind of a visceral point of view, like, Ugh, it's in my way. You know, it's, it's not I do know or the opposite. It's amazing. The, the beginnings of it, things like editor in Word and designer in PowerPoint, people have been pretty big fans of. Yeah. So, and those are kind of the initial forays into letting the software do some stuff for you that you would have done in the past. So we'll have to see. Yeah, I, I will say that um, people who use PowerPoints, is it called designer in PowerPoint? I can't remember. Yeah, um, it is. It, it, it's, uh, I, I mean, I know you just said it, but I wasn't quite sure. Because we used to call them wizards in old days. I guess nobody calls them that anymore. Um, yeah, I have to say that people who've tried Microsoft PowerPoint designer, which is built in, it's like suggests stuff like, hey, maybe you want to try one of these five templates. It it does a good job, and people seem to be impressed when they discover it's there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I agree with you. Okay, um, a couple other things. I'll, I'll move this AI thing up just a little. I, I just happened to to see a, a thing on NPR, or actually it was in my like a newsfeed thing. Like, hey, this might be mm-hmm. interesting to you. Thing that. If you, if you, there is an ancient, ancient song called La Vie en Rose. And I remember, I, the reason I know it is because it was on my, my mom had a, like a jewelry box, a musical jewelry box that played it every time you opened the lid, um, which tells you how old the song is. And, and I remember it as a, as a small child that she had this. And so, you know, I know that tune well, even though I really don't know much about the singer, uh, Edith Piaf, probably pronouncing the name incorrectly. At any rate, there's a new biopic coming out that NPR notes is going to use AI to recreate, I think her speaking voice, because obviously they have the recordings. So they don't need to, you know, redo this the songs of her biopic. But they're going to use her AI again to recreate her speaking voice, I guess to do narration or voiceovers or something. And it's kind of interesting to to see this in production. You know, we've the the Screen Actors Guild in the US just got over a strike kind of trying to figure out what to do with not so much biopic stuff, but what to do with their, their unique visual and vocal properties, I guess, um, in terms of, you know, creating AI versions of them for free versus paying their, them and their estate. So mm-hmm. it's interesting to see an actual biopic in the works that allegedly is going to use AI to recreate a historical figures, you know, entertainer's voice. I uh, I was thinking a lot about voice AIs recently. Uh, I've been actually trying to play around with running LLMs and other things on my local computer, which is, if anything, making me really consider an M2 MacBook <laughs> uh, because they can run these things much faster than the Intel-based. Right. Uh, but I, I've gotten, I, I sort of have this desire to do like an AI generated song completely like mm. have AI generate the music, the lyrics right. and the voice. Uh, but I have not gotten too much into figuring out because of course there's all these different AIs and all these different methods and, and right. things like that. So, but uh, if anyone does have input on that, I'd be curious to see a whole setup of it. Uh, you know, cause that, it's fun to think about these things and I don't want to replicate anyone famous. I just want to be able to, to produce things. I thought it'd be kind of funny if my, uh, lecture music I play before classes has something to do with whatever we're talking about really closely, not just, you know, uh, directly. It might be funny to ask, uh, you know, Bing Chad or someone to write me a song based on, uh, you know, statistical concepts like ANOVA and T-tests and have it, you know, for that day's class. But 
we're we're not quite there yet in mass production. Plus, I just would like to run things on my own network without having uh, the data being sent out to you know third parties to mine and use. Right, 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 right. I'm looking up. Oh gosh, there was a for a couple of months there was a particular uh, AI voice tool, and I'm, I'm looking for it, looking for it, and I can't find it. That let and that had uh, a couple of well-known professional, you know, professional, well-known entertainers like I think Michael Jackson and Brian Wilson and a few folks uh, in it, and so you could have their voice sing any song, and it did a, it did a, you know, it did a um, credible job, I think. And I'm trying to look at the voice generators. I'm trying to look at the names. I can't find the one I'm thinking of. But there's like ten or twelve of them, so you can mm-hmm. you can take it. So you, you're going to have it write the music, and then and then compose uh, the the yeah write right, the music, yeah. compose yeah. the music, compose the lyrics, and and sing the song basically. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm not sure exactly how many moving pieces that's going to be and, and how much work, but it seemed like an interesting idea. Yeah, let me check this one thing since you know we're. Uh, let's see if this thing actually exists. Yeah. So I guess Google, wait, collab.google. Is that what I'm thinking of? Hang on. Is it collab.google? And my mouse is not, my vertical mouse is not responding. There, there it is. Uh, maybe not. Maybe something else. Nope. It's something else. Never mind. Uh, I was thinking of something else. But, uh, I will. I will look forward to seeing what he does. There's a bunch of YouTube videos on people discussing, you know, the the pros and cons of of generating music. Where something like yours, it makes perfect sense, you know, versus something you're trying to make saleable or sort of entertaining in class. Um, which leads me to two more things, and then I, I want to see. I want to hear what you have to say. I, you have a little discovery. I want to learn more mm-hmm. about. So one of the things it's, I, I read about, and I've kind of known it was coming, I just didn't know the date, is Microsoft Windows 10, which you know we all know and love, will have end of support on October 14th, 2025. So it's, it's, a, you know, it's a ways away yet. It's almost two years away. But it's, it's getting there. So for folks who are still on Windows 10, you, know, you, know, you have 22 months, roughly, to figure out what you want to do. Like, you know, run Linux on your box, buy a new PC that can run Windows 11 or 12 or whatever's out by then, and uh, and figure out what you're going to do. You know, I, I'm kind of worried about a number of unnamed people and entities who are still running Windows 10 and, you know, whether or not they're going to upgrade in time. Because, as you know, John, upgrading is, for us, is something we do all the time. But mm-hmm. for, you know, the technical civilian, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> It's a it's a interesting and uh, scary task. Yes, so, that's very true. Okay, and my musing of the day as I was playing with Bard and Bard slash Gemini and Microsoft Bing Chat and so forth and some other stuff is I wonder if people are going to stop using typing question marks because the AI chatbots don't require them in questions. Yeah, I. I don't know. Uh, I don't think a lot of people even started that should be using question marks uh, <laughs> because given the number of people I noticed that when they do a Google search, question marks would really help them and they don't use them. Uh, it's a good question. Uh, I think probably those that know what they're doing will probably not uh, abandon, but we shall see. Those that were never using them will get a nice reprieve. 
Yeah. Well, the reason I wonder is, you know, I, I remember reading a couple of funny articles. I can't remember where now about teachers, um, not university level like yourself, but teachers. And maybe maybe you may have noticed this, too. But teachers in, well, maybe not K through 12, but, you know, elementary and high school levels, noting that their students are turning in reports that look like email or even messaging, you know, very short, terse, lacking well, <laughs> details. The, uh, the thing that's worse than that, uh, which is something that I've been noticing, is that my graduate students and my undergraduates, uh-huh. but mostly my graduate students, write like they're creating a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> Interesting. They're, uh, and I actually have a whole blog post about this that I put in my <laughs> syllabus now because it's such a problem. Uh, and what happens is they basically write paragraphs that... Uh, sound like long bullets in a PowerPoint presentation. They use section headings without transitioning in and out of a section. So it's more like, okay, end of section, bam, new section heading. And you have no idea why you're even going to that section next. You know, when you're writing something that is a narrative, which a paper should be a narrative, you can't just hard shift people away from one thing to the next. So on the blog post that I put in our show notes, I have it's very, my very first pet peeve is writing like you're giving a PowerPoint presentation. And it is a, an epidemic that a lot of people are experiencing now because they are only used to writing bullet points That's and funny. section headings. And they don't realize that, you know, if they're a good presenter, when they're presenting that PowerPoint, they do the transitions between. They'll say, okay, we just talked about these three things. Now I'm going to talk about this because it leads you straight into blah, blah, blah. And then they do a new slide and, you know, whatever. But what I'm even finding now is that a lot of presenters just present by, here's my next slide. Here's three bullets on it. Here's my next slide. Here's three bullets on it. And we're losing that communication of transition because otherwise it really creates these papers and PowerPoint presentations that are hostage situations which by that I mean you put together five or six topics and they don't want to be there together with each other. Uh, they're just kind of awkwardly ordered and I have no idea why you're, you're putting them in the way you're putting them. So that is the bigger problem I see. And AI does a really nice job of transitions to the point that when a student does a really good job with transitions, mm-hmm. I start to wonder if they're writing it themselves. Um, but AI's Biggest problem yet, the thing that lets me catch AI is there's no citing while they write. You know, I tell my students, anytime you make a statement of fact, I need a citation because you're not an expert. So I need a citation for that. And AI will write seven paragraphs with one citation. Mm. Um, So it makes it very easy to mark points off on that because there's just no information there that I can trust, so to speak. Yeah. Well, you know, I think now I'd like to issue a challenge to folks doing their master's thesis or PhD dissertation. I would like to know if anybody has turned in and have accepted and been awarded a degree for a thesis slash dissertation only of bullet points. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I can guarantee you that there are papers that if you were to read, you'll go, wait a minute. Where's the transition? Because uh, I do see a lot of dissertations th- these days that do not do any transitioning. Yeah. Uh, I remember many, many decades ago, I read about a, 
uh, a PhD dissertation for a math degree where the guy wrote, I think it was one page long. I think it's like the world's shortest accepted dissertation with, you know, an awarded degree. But, uh, and it was a proof of something and it took, only took a, one page and it was so impressive. They gave him a PhD for it. But uh, that, that was, I was impressed. I was, that, that impressed me to no end. Okay. I am ready for your your little dis- I guess it's a little discovery because you called it a little button. Well, yeah, it's a very little discovery. Uh, the other day I took a screenshot on my MacBook. I was going to send it to someone. And mm-hmm. so I did the, you know, control command shift four to do a region of the screen and it, it did its little thing. And uh, I then opened it up because I was going to mark it up and mm-hmm. do something with it. And I realized there was this little button that I hadn't seen before in the markup tools that when I dropped it down, it showed me my iPhone and my iPads. Hmm. And I thought, huh, I've never really played this. So I had the iPad Pro sitting next to me. I tapped it and it popped up on my iPad Pro screen, which of course I had my Apple Pencil there. So I could doodle on it, make my annotations, all those sorts of things on the iPad Pro. And as soon as I hit done on the iPad Pro, it instantly updated on the MacBook. So the doodles that I was going to have to do with the trackpad and it would have been very annoying were very much quicker because I had the Apple Pencil on the iPad Pro. So I had no idea that that little button even existed. I'm sure it was announced by Apple at some point and put in some product information as a new, you know, part of their handoff and continuity features. But I had not used it before. And now I am very glad that I found it because it is a, a time saver Instead of having to doodle with trackpad, uh, I can doodle with iPad. And does it show up on your Mac right away? I mean, I guess yeah, I, don't get, I don't get how that works. Like basically oh. appears on the uh, the iPad almost instantly and then appears on the MacBook almost uh, instantly oh. as well. Uh, I got to try so this. I was, I was very happy to see it because, you know, there are times the markup I'm doing lends itself well to the MacBook, because I do just want to add some text or I want to add a straight line or something along those lines. But when I'm going to draw something, especially if I'm going to make a funny comment on it and something, and um, which is what I was doing in this case, it is a lot easier to have it sitting on the, uh, or drawing it using the Apple Pencil than drawing it using my finger. Yeah, and I should I should note, since this is an audio-only podcast, this little... Um... This little icon is a little pencil icon in Apple's preview app, which is, you know, what you look use to look at photos and whatever and PDFs, I guess. Uh, it's a little Apple, a little icon of a pencil in a circle pointing upwards. And it is, what is it in between? It's in between the rotate left and the show form filling toolbar in Apple preview. Mm-hmm. So, and I guess I don't have an iPad near me that's on so when i press it, it doesn't show anything it just shows me the mark show button. your iphone because mine no. actually showed my iphone as well no it didn't that's not showing my iphone how weird i wonder why i wonder if i have to do something i will investigate why my phone i have it on right now because my screen is working right now and i'm pressing the show markup button and nothing's coming out so i will i will fuss with it i will fuss yeah. with it because I just did it on uh, on my iPhone and it popped up on the iPhone um, wherever you're at to see. Oh, my video's turned off, but uh, you, yeah, it's working. Okay, 
Okay, well, as you know, I did have iPhone problems this morning, so oops, you know, uh-huh. who knows what's going on. All righty. Well, then, um, I think that brings us to the end of this podcast, unless you have... Well, I just want to say welcome back. Glad you're back. Oh, thank you. Yep. And um, I will be I uh, around for another podcast? few weeks. Yeah. And I think, uh, I assume you're going to be wandering about for the holidays. So, you know, uh, I'll see you probably next week. And uh, yep. and then uh, we'll figure out what your schedule looks like. All righty. And with that, I'm going to bring Mobile Views Podcast 488 to an end. Uh, thanks to the good Dr. Westfall, as usual. <laughs>